Hey, Travis. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you. Just a little Six low. Seven. It's not very loud. Yeah, one sec. He's got a serious microphone. Yeah, that looks that looks like a Joe Rogan type microphone there. <laughs> How about now? There we go. That's much better. Uh, don't know what you did, but, but it's awesome. I, I don't actually know. I just turned the knobs because they look like they should be turned. And so I do. <laughs> I get it. I That's what I see. One of us at this table, not gonna mention any names, um, <laughs> reads the manual, looks at the graphs. <laughs> I was just bragging about the manual. I use a Samson Q2U mic now. And I just, I spent some time looking at all this Latin about uh, polar patterns and frequency responses and um, cardoid and, you know, uni omnidirectional, all that sort of stuff. And I just, you know, you, you, you can put a, a beautiful plate won't make gross food taste better. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I I understand that. I don't understand read manuals, but I understand the second part. Yeah. Right. See, I got my new mic, I guess, probably eight, nine months ago. I plugged it in and I said, Tom, how's it sound? <laughs> that was as far as I went, you know? <laughs> yeah. I need to get closer, further away. What do I need to do? <laughs> That's, um, you know, that that is for, for those of us, uh, people of action, actually uh, reading about it and actually doing it really is what turns out i mean that's what really turns things out is actually doing it yeah and and travis obviously uh, you know we're, we're preaching to the choir you know based on what i know of you you know about about the action thing doug you good bro all right travis here we go Hey, Doug Smith, what's checking today, man? How are things up in the PD? Hey, Tom, man, I tell you what, this South Carolina weather, you just never know what to expect. Coat in the morning, short sleeves and flip-flops in the afternoon, but tell you what, it's a beautiful Friday, my friend. How's everything in Charleston? It is It is as beautiful as, as I have seen it in a while. And I think I mentioned to you when we talked earlier this week that my son, uh, Andrew, who was a mariner, uh, helped us get a set of, uh, I guess, measurement tools that is a thermometer, a hygrometer, and a barometer. And I have been documenting it over the last couple of weeks with our crazy weather and following the barometer up and down 29, 31, 29, uh, obviously not that far because we'd have a hurricane at 29. And uh, and it just seems like it's, uh, it, it. I'm not sure if the weather is making it happen or if that's making the weather happen. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of adjusting it, but see if it'll, see if it'll make the weather change, kind of a uh, weatherman sort well, of theory you know, weatherman <laughs> get it right 50 percent of the time so i'm gonna look to you for 50 percent going forward i think that's a very very good thing so <laughs> i'm excited doug to introduce you to a new friend of ours travis rossback travis please let me introduce you to doug smith also known as doug the food guy travis how are you doing my friend i'm well doug thanks for having me this is great so where are you located today I am in Bend, Oregon. Oregon. Oh, wow. So if I were to come to Bend, Oregon, what's one cool restaurant you'd say, hey, you just got to go check out? You know, there's a bakery. It's called Ooh. Sparrow Bakery. And they have this thing called an ocean roll. And it's, it's kind of like a kind of like a cinnamon roll, 
but it's not. It's an ocean roll and it has cardamom on it and a little bit warm. And, and that's, that's my jam right there. That's my not literal jam. I don't put jam on it, but that's, that's my favorite thing that I think we have in, in Bend right now. Wow. I can tell you what, I could see your eyes light up when you started talking about that ocean roll, not a cinnamon roll, but an ocean nope. roll. And uh, with a little lavender latte. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. A lavender latte. Jeez. How do I get there? <laughs> that, that sounds like a musical group, like lavender latte and the ocean rolls, man. I, I like, I like the sound of it. If only one of us could sing. Doug, can you sing? Not a chance. Okay. I play didgeridoo. I, I, uh, oh. is about all I can do. I can't. Sing. I have heard you that. Um, hey, don't, with the didgeridoo, don't they do like the? Don't you do like the in and out breathing or whatever is called like a circling? What is what is Circ that didgeridoo? Circular breathing. Uh huh. Yeah. When I lived in Australia, I I had this real calling to go live in Australia for some reason from about fourth grade when uh, Crocodile Dundee came out, and then finally by the time you know. 19 years old, maybe 20, I got to Australia and just started playing the didgeridoo. It just seemed like a natural thing to do in Australia. I love the sound of a didgeridoo. I tell you, it's just a cool thing. But, you know, I know I've told Tom this, everybody in my family plays one, two, or maybe even three instruments, whether it be piano, guitar, flute, you fill in the blanks. I am a perfect iTunes player. Any genre, any time, I got you covered. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> You're the mix master, baby. <laughs> you got whoop, it. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and scene. There we go. We're, we're going to put that one. We're going we're to leave that one in, Doug. That was beautiful. <laughs> that, that is good. So, so, Travis, where did you grow up? I know you said you went to Australia. You're in Bend, Oregon now. Where did you grow up? I started out in Salem, Oregon, and then I met my dad when I was about 14 and he was in St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. And so started going back and forth more and more to the to the Virgin Islands and and then didn't make it there full time until after I graduated high school. And then in Salem, then went back home to the Virgin Islands. You said you met your dad. What, at 14, what's that all yeah. about? At 14. Well, uh, one day we were just kind of hanging out and a knock at the door and this guy was standing there and I kind of recognized him, but I wasn't real sure. And come to find out he was my grandpa and he's like, Hey, you want to go meet your dad? I said, well, yeah. And he said, St. Croix, us Virgin islands. I thought, well, is that over by Africa or where is that? I don't care. I'm going. And next thing I knew, I was on an airplane at 14. And this is, you know, well before 9-11, where you could still throw kids on an airplane by themselves. And I was in the Virgin Islands, next thing I knew, and, and met my dad. Out of curiosity, what did your dad do in the Virgin Islands? I, I know very little about that area other than it's a great vacation location. Yeah, he has uh, scuba diving shops, Cane Bay Dive Shop, and oh. so went straight into scuba diving day day two, really. So you're a scuba diver too, I assume. I, I did. I became a dive master and then eventually a dive instructor with Patty. Fifteen eighty one ninety is is my number. 
Well, that's pretty cool. I'm a paddy diver myself. I haven't done it in quite a while, but I went through the lessons, took the, you know, I did a fair amount of diving when I was younger. It's just, I haven't done it in the last 10 or 15 years, but uh, what an, if you've never done it, Tom, you got to try it. I look at the videos that Andrew sends to us. I live vicariously through him watching him do all that. He was in uh, Bonaire. I, I, uh, I remember it was earlier this year and he's going, uh, and I don't know if I want to, I don't know. I'm going to say, not going to say he's going to a place to dive. Um, that's, that is, um, in, in the Caribbean, that's not a normal place to go dive. And, and he didn't really say he didn't want to tell me, but it's kind of a cool place. I'll tell you guys afterwards. If, as if he clears me to go do it, he has some friends that are in the service that uh, he's going to go do some cool diving down, down in that part of the world. So I wasn't trying to make it mysterious. I just realized as I started to say that, Maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that about where he's going. So it's, it's obviously not top secret. Um, I'll take it out. He's going to Cuba. I'll take it out. I'll just take it out. He's going to Cuba to go scuba diving. And of course, his mom is having an absolute duck thinking, why are you going to, uh, and he's going to be on Guan at Guantanamo Bay. And it's supposed to be oh, wow. just the most bizarre, awesome diving place. I had a friend wow. of mine that just got back from Cuba about six months ago and said other than the infrastructure it's the most beautiful place he's been to and he's traveled the world oh wow wow it's kicking off in guantanamo right now also i, I know that there are people there who are, are quite naughty and they deserve to be there and they're flying in more and more every day and that makes me happy that the bad guys are going there i never even thought about scuba diving there though that's <laughs> That's on my bucket list now. Thank you. <laughs> it's uh, well, as soon as he gets done, he's, he's going the uh, second, I think second week of December and uh, he's flying on, uh, it's like a C one forty seven or something like that. He's flying with his, with his folks. So it's um, they, I think they went to school with him and he went to Maine maritime up in, uh, up in May, uh, Maine, <laughs> as if we could say that it's uh, which is a lot going on in Maine this week and Lewiston and all that sort of stuff. So that's uh, so sorry, I took us on that, but it's, it's kind of cool. And, and uh, I like it. So obviously, Travis, you are a waterman. How has that affected your life? What has that been like for you to grow up from 14? Boom, second day there. What's up, dad? You're in the water. How did that affect your entire path through this awesome path it seems you've taken? That's a really good question. I don't know that I've ever had anybody really talk to me about the waterman aspect of my life, but it really did have a profound impact on the trajectory of everything that I've ever done to, to make my living from the water as a true waterman. You know, uh, there's lifeguards who make their living that way and scuba divers and fishermen and, and, and boat captains. And you know, I, I don't want to think that it ruined my life because now all I really want to do is be on a boat in the Caribbean in the nice warm tropics. And, and here I am and it's like 30 degrees outside and a little bit icy. So has it ruined my life? Mm, yeah, kind of because I miss it so much. And it was a really good time of my life. I, I traveled all over the world going diving and, and running boats and I was fortunate enough to work uh, in, in multiple countries uh, as a waterman and, and it, some of the best years of my life. And, and yet I'm here now and I'm happy and I'm content. So yes. Well, as I'm looking in your background, I see fish flying over your right shoulder <laughs> and, you know, I was, 
you know, Waterman's kind of a cool uh, story there, but you know, in my younger years, I did a little bit of fishmongering where we did, you know, some commercial fishings off the coast of South Carolina and brought fish back and did all that kind of thing. And it, that was a pretty cool life as well. And, you know, you, you can actually, I was talking to a guy this morning, live off of the land if you take the time to cultivate your earth and do the fishing and your streams and all those things. And it's just a totally different life. It, and, and we've gotten away from that, which is a shame. I think it's unfortunate that we're we're more reliant upon our automobiles to get us to the commercial grocery store to go get our fruits and vegetables and our fish and everything else. And um, yeah, I, I think that we would all be better off if we had a little bit more of that these days. Well, you know, my nickname is Doug the Food Guy, and I, I get that pretty honestly because I've been in the food industry my whole life. And there was times in, in my career where selling food was more important. And, you know, we always had the joke, there's food you eat, there's food you sell. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it was. And today I'm at my point in my career where if I don't absolutely love the food and the story and the background, I just don't want it. And, you know, I, I'm on the board of directors of a local uh, farmer's market, you know, where everything has to be locally sourced and uh, those kind of things. And I was talking to a guy this morning about shrimp that comes out of the East Coast, out of North Carolina, as opposed to coming from Asia and, you know, all these things. It's, it's just important. Yes, you're going to pay a little more, but it's going to taste so much better. The story behind it is going to be so much more impactful. That economy of I just spent $10 with you and how many times it goes over and folds and, and triples. Uh, it's just impactful to our local economies when we spend all of our time and effort locally, as opposed to send it all overseas. I, I fell in love with the concept of tilapia a, a number of years ago. It, it was just kind of a weird afternoon where I was like, I started to learn about tilapia and how it's so diverse and you can use it as a, as a, you know, I, I don't remember now, but like a red fish or a white fish and you can substitute it for a number of things. And Jesus was said to have fed it to the masses and it can be fresh water or salt water. And I was like, wow, this is really intriguing. And then I was in Asia and I see all these like ponds of fish and there were tilapia. And I thought, oh, I'm never going to eat tilapia again after seeing that. <laughs> I know exactly so, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. East Coast tilapia, though. Yeah, I'd eat that for sure. Yeah, it's funny. You and say I'd that. pay extra. I actually have a friend that started off with his son doing a project for Boy Scouts where he had some beehives. And then that led to we're going to do greenhouse tomatoes, which led to we're going to do, um, I can't think what the word, hyperponic tomatoes where you have the water in the in the big bin and they put tilapia in there so the fertilizer from the tilapia feeds the tomatoes the um re residue of the tomatoes feed the tilapia and then it's just a, a cycle that just continues and to this day i can go two blocks from my house and get local honey get fresh uh tomatoes I don't know that he's going to give me any of his fish, but he has fish in a tank. And, you know, it's just a, a cycle that just continues and continues. 
Well, if you're that. lucky, you can go shoot fish in a barrel, but uh, you, you might have to ask him first. Yeah. Yeah, that create a whole new set of problems. <laughs> yeah, might. Shooting fish in a barrel is not as easy as as it looks. Just so you guys know, the you uh, gotta anyway. watch your toes. Yeah, you do have to watch okay. your toes. And and I learned actually, we we did. You were talking about Boy Scouts, and uh, we did a. Uh, uh, and again, Andrew showed me a, a neat thing that when you're when you use a like a spear gun when you're underwater, it you can see it's the same thing. But when you're above the water, there I don't know it's called like refraction. There's a name for it that the fish looks like he's here, and but the fish is really not there. It is like refracted. It's actually a foot over, so you have to aim, which is kind of counterintuitive uh, about how life. And it's kind of a, I think a neat metaphor for life that sometimes what you think you're shooting at may not be where it actually is. And that that draws me back to the waterman about uh, I've been in a, in a funny way. I've been studying about about what, what we would call uh, direction and destination. And I know that's kind of a weird way to go with that. But it uh, wouldn't uh, growing up actually sailing with our family sails. And oftentimes the, the destination you have isn't the direction that you're going because you have to tack and you have to go other ways to get there. And, and why I brought that back is I have a. Um, kind of a, a, a question I love to, I want to ask you, and, and I was thinking when I could, is how did you learn all the stuff that you have done? Did you learn it by doing that? Did you learn it from books? Did you go get your master's in how to do stuff? Because it seems like you've done a lot of really cool things, Travis. Yeah, I, I've always tried to start out with the vocabulary of things first. And I think as long as I can understand what people are talking about, I can hopefully ask coherent questions and not just sound like a complete idiot, which I'm not opposed to. I'm not opposed to not being the smartest person in the room. In fact, I, I prefer not to be the smartest person in the room because then I get to learn. But if I can learn the basic vocabulary where I, at least I can hang, you know, at least I can kind of like get by in a conversation then I can start to ask more intelligent questions and I can go deeper and deeper in things. Honestly, I started the idiots guides and the dummies guides books. I've, I've had, you know, like I, got, I started out with the idiots guide to, to boating and the idiots guide to flying and gliding and the idiots guide to getting rich and the idiots guide to business and became, you know, I have a 50 ton U S merchant Marine captain's license. I, I was an airline transport pilot, commercial pilot. Uh, made a couple million dollars, um, had a, had a couple successful businesses and it, it all started with that basic vocabulary and then just starting to go up from there. But I, I also think that schooling is important for some, but for me, it just hasn't been necessary. So when you say schooling hasn't been necessary, uh, I assume that means you have no college degree. Correct. Yeah, no, I, I started flying uh, April 2001 before 9-11. And I was told that I could get these things called student loans. And that was really the only way I'd ever be able to pay for the, the tuition and to actually fly the planes to get my licenses. And I, I, I started taking out student loans. I started re, at that time, they were just starting the online school. So I started going to Utah Valley State back then online, and I was told that in order for me to fly for the airlines, I had to get my degree. 
And, and that's what the school told me. And so I said, okay, well, if, if you're going to give me money and I, the only way I can fly for the airlines is to get my degree, fine. I guess I'll have to do that. I started and I loved all the flying courses. I aced right through those and I was, I was done with that quickly, but then it came to science and then dang it, math hit math was just a brick wall that I could not get through. Understand. And <laughs> next thing I knew I was flying for the airlines. I was like, well, what about my degree? They said, well, do you have one? I said, no. They said, well, that's fine. Come on, let's just fly. I said, all right, cool. So I stopped flying and, and never did finish my degree. I, I was so dang close, but I was flying for the airlines and I didn't really care. My wife has a master's degree in education and I have a bunch of hours at college that never added up to anything other than I ran out of money and smarts to get anything more. But you know, I've, I've done well. I figured out a way to make a living and, and do it very well in what I was doing. And so I, I have no degree either. And one of the saddest things I think of is our educational system has taught all of our kids that if you want to be successful, you have to have a four-year degree. And that's just not true. I was talking to a kid that I think he said he was 24 years old this week, making probably more money than I did before I quit my last, you know, commercial job. And he went to a two-year tech college, got a degree in elect, uh, I think it was um, electronics or electricians. And he's on the path of creating his own company, probably be a, a multimillionaire by the time he's 50 years old. And then you got my kids and lots of other kids out there that have these student debts. They got their four-year degree. And they're barely able to uh, pay the rent because the jobs just aren't there that they were promised or thought they would be getting. Yeah, I, I had to sell Hydroflat. Well, I didn't have to, but I in order for me to pay off my student loans, selling Hydroflat definitely helped with that. I, it was it was incredible, you know, to fly. $140 an hour was like the cheapest plane. And then all of the student loans on top of that, it, it it really weighed me down and I had student loans for probably three, four years. And it was, it was, it was almost miserable really having that. Well, you seem to be doing well now. I'm doing okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> I could always be doing better, but that just gives me something to strive for. That, that reminds me of my uncle. He was a tobacco farmer. Best year he ever had was fair. That's <laughs> <laughs> a bad, it's a very year. Travis, you just mentioned hydro flask. What is your relationship to that company or, or how did you, how do you, how do you relate to Hydroflask? I, I started the company. I, I came up with the idea of um, keeping water temperature that I put it in. I want to put in temperature into a bottle and I want to hike to the top of the mountain and I want to have water when I get there, not an ice cube. I want to put water in. I want to go surf and I want to come back and I don't want hot water that I can't drink because it burns my esophagus. I want, just water. And so I started Hydroflask. Was that uh was that your first venture into business? I had a couple before that. I had a, a fence company here in Bend, Oregon, Bend Fencing. I started with a girlfriend at that time and and we just learned how to build fences and and start doing fences. This was about 2006 when everything was still going up in the housing markets. And then sold that, exited out, 
took off to Hawaii and started Oahu Signs and Screen Printing, which started out as a printing company and embroidery, screen printing, stuff like that. Kind of turned into more of an agency model where we helped brands and helped individuals build their brand. And then one day I was thirsty and couldn't find a water bottle. And uh, next thing I knew, I was in Shanghai and then Hangzhou and then Yin Kong and all over China trying to find a machine that would make a part that would make a, another part that would make a piece that could go into a, a water bottle. Wow, that that's what a story and what a transition from uh, Oregon to Hawaii to China and all the points in between the bits and pieces it took to make that happen. Wow, that that's impressive. Was it was it always did was it always you made it sound pretty dang easy? Just so you know, was it always easy or was there did you get you know at least the joy of having some challenges along the way? <laughs> no, it was always hard. <laughs> I just made it sound easy. I just realized how easy that was for me to wrap that all up in 20 seconds. But no, it was aggravatingly difficult. It was a struggle the entire time. But um, but I enjoyed it. I loved it. I knew it was sort of a higher calling somehow that I had in some way, shape or form. As long as I act boldly, unseen forces would come to my aid. And they did. And um, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. But no, it was challenging. Were there any instances in, in all of all of that simple package you put together that that you that you had to push through? Was there anything that you had to really push through where you wondered, oh, my gosh, is this going to be where I want to go when you were on the path to to uh, to creating the the product? You know, as as kind of bass backwards as it may sound, it was it was so much success that that was kind of the biggest problem. We were doing so well and yet, and, and water bottles still to this day cost about $5 and 50 cents each from the factory. And which when we bought 5,000 of them, yeah, that's a lot of money for us to sell everything we own and go borrow and max the credit cards out. And yet it was obtainable. And then the, flip side of that was, okay, what happens when they start to sell? What happens when we sell 120,000 water bottles a month? Then what do you do? Well, 120,000 times $5.50 every single month. And you have to pay 60, 90, 120 days up front. And you don't have any money back for another you know, four or five months. That was actually one of the biggest struggles that we had was, was the success. Wow. So finding the financing to cover the success was your biggest hurdle. Wow. It, it really was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, friends and family are great, but how far do your friends and family take you? Well, unless they're multimillionaires, then it's, you know, not really going to work. And banks at that point still, this was, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, banks didn't want anything to do with anybody who said the word entrepreneur or business. They, they wanted nothing to do with that. And we'd have these massive orders, you know, like 120,000 bottles order right here. Could you please give us some money? Yeah, no, uh, -uh no, go try the SBA. The SBA is like, we'll let you know in eight months, eight months, <laughs> like I need bottles tomorrow here's the order yet. Yeah, no, no, fill out the paperwork and we'll get back to you. So 
I'd always learned that there's two ways to go out of business. It's either not have enough sales or have too many sales, but I didn't really understand that entirely until I had too many sales. I just got to ask, how did you fix that problem? How did you get that financing? Well, it, I mean, at first it was everybody we knew, you know, could we get 10 bucks? Hey, 20 bucks here and there, hundred bucks, thousand bucks, 20,000 here and there, max out the credit cards, max out the debt, max all that out more, you know, second mortgages on, on grandparents house and things like that. Cause we were, we had traction, we were moving. And I, you know, I was, I was fortunate that my family believed in me when, when nobody else really did even. And then it just became where it was, I, I have a, a very vivid memory of a Wednesday afternoon where I realized I'm by myself running the company. I'm, I, I had employees. I had, like, I don't know, maybe five or six employees. I'm by myself. I'm the big man on campus. I'm the only one in charge. I don't know where any more money is going to come from. And it's time for me to shut down the business. I'm a product of success. And so I wrote out the letter. Sorry, folks. You know, it's Friday. I was, I was planning on delivering it Friday afternoon. Sorry, you're all fired. And I wrote my letter and I was sitting there literally writing my letter and the receptionist called and told me that somebody was there to see me. I said, I'm not interested. And she's like, well, he's here for a job. And I'm like, I'm definitely not interested in hiring more people. That's kind of the opposite of what I need right now is more people. I need less people. And she said, well, he's, he's really adamant and really persistent. And I think that you need to at least escort him out of the building. <laughs> Like, okay, do I need to bring my gun? And she's like, yeah, possibly. I'm like, okay. So I went forward to think, you know, I'm getting into this altercation with this guy. And, you know, he's maybe a little bit, you know, psychotic or just not mentally well. And he says, hey, I want to work here. I said, well, I'm sorry, we're not hiring. And he did not take no for an answer. And next thing I knew, I was like, all right, dude, come into my office and, and let's talk. And he said, just tell me the truth. Why are you not hiring me? I said, it's not you. It's me. I don't have enough money. I'm shutting down the company on Friday. It's Wednesday, four o'clock. Friday's our last day. And he said, why? I said, well, I can't afford the bottles. He says, well, what do you need? And I just kind of, a million dollars, dude. How's that? I need a million bucks. He goes, okay. So if I got you a million dollars by Friday, could I have a job Monday? I said, yeah, let's go with that. And, and at that point, I'm kind of like taking the safety off my gun thinking, okay, this is going nuts. Like this, who is this guy? You need to leave now. And he's like, okay, cool. Thanks. And he left and I forgot about it. Thursday comes and damn it, you know, this letter's word perfect, but I don't want to fire all my friends. You know, they were my friends at that point and, and employees and everything. And yet it's Thursday and no money, you know, like, 500 bucks isn't going to help. And, you know, just cause we got a check from whole foods or whatever, it, it, it wasn't enough Friday morning. I, I decided I was going to at least let everybody go early at lunch. And so that way they could at least have the rest of the day off, you know, and I call a meeting and everybody goes into the conference room and I'm, I'm the last one walking in and I'm trying not to cry and, and break down. And another dude walks in like, ah, oh, geez, this guy's going to want the same thing. He just wants to work here. And he said, are you Travis? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, I'm here about the money. I'm like, oh, great. He's collected money now. I don't have money for you, man. And he's like, no, 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 I <laughs> might have money for you. I said, oh, 
And uh, so I kicked everybody out of the conference room and sat down with him. And he says, what do you need? I said, well, I need three shipping containers of 40,000 bottles. He's like, well, how much money is that? I said, well, I don't know. I need 120,000 bottles. He's like, well, how much money? I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I don't do numbers like that. I, I, I think about units. I, I want to sell units of bottles. I want to sell 120,000 bottles. So we did the math and he wrote me a check. And I thought, well, this is probably not real. But Monday, uh, when the check does not clear, I'll have to fire everybody Tuesday. But hey, I don't have to fire everybody right now. That's cool. I'm going to skate through the weekend and fire everybody on Tuesday. Well, Monday, the check cleared. And I had an investor and we had money. And Wednesday, we had an order for 120,000 bottles. Did you hire the guy? I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's actually still with the company as, as, as best I can tell too. <laughs> That's good stuff. Tell you what, that is what you call an American success story right there, my friend. That that was worth the price of admission. Yeah, thank you. You know, it, it was it was one of the largest sort of, you know, how do they call it? A miracle that I've ever really truly experienced. It was, it was literally just like that Wednesday afternoon, late in the day. I'm, I'm just looking to go home and, and cry. Cause I'm going to have to fire everybody and shut everything down. And, and by Friday at lunch, you know, I had a little hope and by Wednesday I had 120,000 water bottles. I'm so glad that we heard that story directly from you, Travis, that is it, it excites those of us that are in some of those situations. It, it really gives a hope that uh, um, I know that a, my dad uh, told me many times when we would fish, he would say to me all the time when I would be impatient, when the lure wouldn't, and this is actually, I'm not making this story up, <laughs> that he would say, fish the lure all the way into the boat, fish all the way into the boat. And if you knew how many times I have caught fish at the boat, I mean, physically when I'm going to pull the lure out of the water and, and, and get a fish. And that is a, uh, I don't know if that's a, a natural metaphor that we're given for how to do things, but I feel like you, I, I'm, I'm obviously talking a lot because that's a very exciting story. I'm, I'll take that part out, <laughs> but it's a cool, man, it's I, I such like a cool that story. story. I like that I love that story too, that man. Makes a lot of sense. I actually like it's, that it's story like... too because I was just thinking about the largest crappie I ever uh, brought into the boat. Me and my buddy had been out fishing all day, and we were just like, "Nothing's biting, nothing's working. Let's just roll everything up and go home." And I set my reel down. I'd already rolled everything up. Set my reel down on the side of the boat. The um, lure was just dangling off the edge of the boat. And the crappy came up out of the water, bit the lure, and I caught him, and the reel was not even in my hand. <laughs> Doug, I thought of that it. in years, and all of a sudden, yes, that 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 came I, to my mind. I've got chills, man. <laughs> that, that is crazy. That is good stuff. Travis, I see behind you a bunch of books. Are books important to you, or, or is that where you, you hide all your green quarters and stuff yeah i've got them all carved out i have pistols in them <laughs> is what that is well, it's a safe. It's like you, pull, 
pull it out and it's a big say first that's where you like where your scotch your uh, montana scotch is uh back back there what sort of well, books are you reading back there well this is just a small number of them and um a lot of them are business books idiot's guide to business plans idiot's guide to getting rich is right there consulting for dummies um napoleon hill brian tracy is always always got a, a place on my shelf and then i've got another uh, I, I i've got a very large library actually and so i just kind of rotate them through and whatever i need i, I pull I found in the Virgin Islands that every time we'd get robbed, they'd steal everything that I owned, but they'd always leave my books. And so I've always found that the one thing I know I can kind of keep is a, is a handful of books. And as long as I have a few, you know, Awaken the Giant Within is a good one that, that keeps me motivated. And um, the Millionaire Mind Traction is, is a great one. The Goal is a very fascinating one. Uh, the art of war, the fountainhead, stuff like that. Like it, they keep me motivated and keep me moving. So you could say that books are important to you. Highly, highly important part of my, yeah. I mean, that's where my education comes from is mm -hmm. nowadays a little bit of YouTube. I'm not going to lie, but the books have always been very instrumental in whatever I'm doing. And, and I, I always read with a highlighter and at least one or two pens. And I, I am very liberal in writing in books and taking notes and putting my thoughts in and highlighting and marking and, and, and defacing them because I paid for them. They're 25 bucks. That's not, you know, that's no small number there. And so I feel like I own it. I'm going to take advantage of it. And then years later, I go back and I open up and I read my notes and I read my highlights and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. This is what I need right now. And it's something I needed 10, 15 years ago also. So I use them as reference uh, material. Oh, that's do you cool. have, do you have any cookbooks? Sorry, Doug. Uh, <laughs> do I have cookbooks? The answer is yes. I actually have a box full of uh, cookbooks, but the fact that they're in the box, not on the shelf might tell you something. <laughs> I was about to say, so a box full of cookbooks <laughs> doesn't mean that you're necessarily reading them on a regular basis. Right. No, I, I'm using the card reader more than I'm using the the books. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. And uh, Travis, so in all your travels around the world, obviously, is there any food that you've run across that you think wow, I wish people knew about that, about that food. I, I love street food wherever I am. And I know that there's major consequences that go along with taking those actions. And yet I just go right in and I just chalk that up as part of the experience and price of admission. I love street food. Any country I'm in, I, I, and, and even like, you know, I remember being up in Anchorage and there were two hot dog vendors and I, I was heading towards a hot dog vendor and there was no line. And then I look over, there's another hot dog vendor and the line was down the block. So I, of course I took off to the other one where the line was to stand in the back of the line. But I, I love, I love just experiencing the local cuisine from people who are doing it like in food carts or in, in Asia and China, you know, they might have a, a big wok where they're frying rice and throwing 
mystery meat in it and you can't really want to know what's in it, but you kind of do, but you shouldn't ask and they don't know how to tell you anyway. But that's where I find a lot of the best food is, is on the street level. And even here in Bend, we have a tremendous amount of restaurants that are really good. And yet we have a lot that come and go and the food carts are the ones that seem to remain. And I, I love eating out of a food cart or out of a walk on the side of the road or a, some dude with a hot dog up in Anchorage. I'm a sucker for a food truck. I'm just going to tell you right now. Uh, you know, it's hard to pass a, a tacos truck or a fill in the blank uh, shrimp and grits or whatever it is because the, the quality and the passion you get in those it's just different. It's just at a whole different level. I, I, I find the same thing. Yeah, I, I find that if if they're if they're passionate about making food, they're usually really good at it. And just because they can't afford the lease or the paperwork or they can't quite get into a restaurant, doesn't make the food less appetizing. It, it, it sometimes that passion is even better, and it, and it comes out in the food and the the big chains that have their restaurants here in in bend especially they don't make it we are not known for chain restaurants in bend they don't last more than a few years but that passion that comes out in the food trucks yeah they're here for a long time lawrence where where doug lives and charleston both are very similar with the chains now of course we have chains you know along 95 and along the inner states and in the big uh kind of a big uh, areas near the airport but uh, though some things that we've started to see with the food trucks especially down uh, in our area is having food trucks at breweries when the breweries were having i don't know if you said are you guys having that sort of a movement out there in bend or you know in your part of oregon we have about 852,000 breweries in bend I, I think that's the official number as of yesterday and I would say probably three quarters of them have food trucks and they're just killing it. They're, they're doing better than, than uh, a lot of the sit down restaurants are. Wow. So I take beer is uh, pretty common out in your neck of the woods. I, I, I don't want to tell people that, but we have clean water and good, good beer. And, but I would prefer that we just export it out as opposed to have people come and get it. Understood. Well, uh, I always tell people that I'm really not a fan of beer. It's just not something that I enjoy much, but I do enjoy a good Guinness from time to time or something like that at a local brewery. Well, I, I'm the exact same way. I don't actually drink beer anymore. And, and in fact, it now kind of gives me a headache and I just don't feel good after it. But when I was drinking beer, I remember being in Ireland and somebody told me, I think the number was 13. If you have 13 Guinness a day, you get all the nutritional uh, support and, and goodness that you need. There's really no reason to eat food if you have 13 Guinness a day. And I, I put that to the test when I was, yeah, I was about 20, <laughs> 21. How do you survive on 13 Guinness? That's the next thing I'm thinking is how am I going to stand up to get out of the room? <laughs> yeah. You probably don't care. Yeah. You probably don't care. No, nah, <laughs> you're not going far anyway. Yeah. That's, uh, that's when you guys were talking about that, I looked up uh, area code 541. I know that was a weird way to say that, 
but uh, we had a, 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 a fella from Oregon and I was trying Doug, I was trying to see where Jack, where the city uh, that Jack told us he was in, in Oregon. Um, but we were talking about the uh, full sale brewing company up there with session beers. And uh, I just realized that Oregon was the, um, it wasn't bend. It was a, a place near, it doesn't matter where, but, uh, but I was, I was, uh, that's one of the things I brought up and I'll take that little goofy part out about the session beer, the full session beer, which I learned, uh, which is why I wanted to say it to you that because I had the beer at a, uh, an event here on the, in the Southeast that it doesn't come this way anymore. They keep it uh, all on the, um, the East or I guess the Northeast that a session, as Jack explained it to us, a session is a, for um, hydra sailors or surfers that they go out for a session and the beer was created specifically for that sort of drinking where you would have a couple of beers after a full session and mm -hmm. uh, i have just really become enamored with the thought of a session like a tennis match you go and have a tennis match and of course mick ultra has made their you know has killed it because they've associated competitive uh, even those of us that are, you know, getting, you know, get, you know, we're past our competitive years, you know, I don't have much of a chance of making it on the tour anymore. Um, you know, maybe one day. So anyway, that's, that's why I wanted to bring that up. That was awesome. <laughs> I don't know if you can see Doug that, oh, you're muted. Am I muted? No. You're muted. I can't hear you. I'm muted. <laughs> you were muted. That's how that's you're muted. Yes. <laughs> moving my lips and nothing's happening what i was saying I, I had are you trying to totally tell me a story session <laughs> beer until you brought that back up and it, it all came back to my mind that's what i was saying oh good good that's fun that is fun it's um uh I, i'm excited to have that beer again and i've uh I've, i'm trying to talk jack into uh sending some to us it's uh travis i'm so glad that that happened man that, that's such a cool part <laughs> uh, because that would happen if we were sitting in the airport you know what i mean exactly. right now at the airport and we would have used that to go get another session beer or, or refilled our hydro flask and the new, that is one cool thing about airports. I've just recently had the time yeah, to be in the one. bottle fillers. Yeah. That's a, that's a super cool thing I've started to see. Yeah. And, and wow. What a, what a forethought you had on, on those. <laughs> yeah. I know you probably, I mean, did you know those were coming? Is that what you, did you have like a futuristic? No, thought? I, I, I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of futuristic thoughts about those. A lot of times they're called LK and LK just merged. LK is a good American brand, I should say. I, I think they're out of uh, the Midwest and American-owned, American-family-owned. Uh, and then they just sold uh, at least some of the shares to Zern, I think it is. But yeah, I love seeing those bottle fillers. I think that's just so... It's It's a little counterintuitive to capitalism because it's free and you can go buy Coke and Pepsi and everything else right there, but we're giving away free liquid right here. And yet it, I, I love seeing those in airports and it, it makes me actually want to go back to the airports. It, it, you know, not that I have a lot of choice in, in my connections, but I, I, I like that. I, I think it's, I, I, I personally that. love it because I'm a water drinker. And when you get through TSA and you got this much water left in your bottle, you got a place now you can dump it and you keep your bottle and you walk through and to go to the first fountain, fill it back up to the top and I'm good to go. You know, just, just a thought. I wonder if there would be a way that we could 
like for something like uh, Doug, like we have done like water missions, or there's like a, a waterman uh, association that we could support that when you go and get water, you could do your iPhone up to it and maybe drop a buck in there. Or, oh, you know, what a cool or, idea. Or, you know what I mean? Or just, just yeah. uh, Apple pay, you know, wouldn't have to kill yourself. You know, it, it could be like a buck or two bucks or um, a commitment to even like a subscription of saying that I'll give uh, $50 a year to Waterman's or to a mission um, mm -hmm. that that support that helps people give me give me the water connection I, i'm a waterman too and so i'm i'm all all in on that so uh doug maybe we need to maybe we need to think about that maybe that's, i just put that out in the in the universe i hope that's what i hope for absolutely you never know it could be the next big thing like surf riders i think surf riders is an organization that does that too that they support people we had a uh, and i know it's about beer uh but we had a a group that uh, it's in atlanta that that is called sweetwater brewing and they're oh, kind of they're, yeah they're kind of famous now uh but they originally had i fell in love with them truly as a brand when they brought out guide beer g-u-i-d-e guide beer and a portion of the the proceeds from that beer went to help people that were guides like scuba divers uh people that took fishing expeditions from the guides because you know they're they're you know, they're, they're just independent contractors, just guys trying to make a living and girls, uh, people just trying to make a living. And uh, so so being able to have an impact just by buying, you know, beer that helps other people, it just made me feel I don't know why I'm talking about that, but it just kind of just hit me when I thought the thing about putting the little scanner on the water machine so you could pitch in and help. So I got a little bit off on that one, but it makes me feel good to think about it Absolutely, <laughs> and to act on it. Travis, before we before we go get on the plane and leave you, I, I want to know if someone is out in Bend, Oregon, hanging around in your, your neck of the woods, where would they find Travis Ross back? Well, hopefully they won't find me. <laughs> I, uh, I'm usually here. I'm here at my property cutting down trees and uh, hanging out with my my dogs and, and and doing the Travis thing in my own little compound world. But if I do get out, I, I'm usually down at the Tumalo Bite, which is a, a outdoor food cart area. And uh, in Tumalo at the, I'm usually at the Tumalo grocery store, actually the Tumalo gas station, which has a little grocery area and a little deli in the back. And, and it's right across the street from my mailbox. So that's usually where I am. Cool. What's your favorite food truck? Or can you say, maybe you shouldn't say. <laughs> well, it, I won't say the name of it because I'll probably uh, say the wrong one, but it's the Mexican food. The Mexican uh, food at Tumalo Bite is incredible. I, I, I want to say it's Rigoberto's, but that might be inaccurate. But the Mexican food in, in Tumalo is amazing. You know, it's Taco Tuesday every day of the week around my house. <laughs> I, I we, like have a, we have a food truck park that's probably five minutes from my house. And there's anywhere from one to 20 food trucks there but there's always a taco truck. That, that actually just sounds dangerous to be five minutes away from a 20 up to 20 food trucks. It, it, it can be, but it does make for an interesting lunch option. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> it does. And Travis, before we go, if someone were, if someone were to, to find you online, would they find you at a website or are you active on any of the socials? You, you got a TikTok page that you're working on. <laughs> Where would they find you? I, I don't actually have TikTok, but I am on LinkedIn a little bit. And I'm also at travisrossback.com, travisrosbach.com. Travis, it's 
been a pleasure. I'm so glad that we met you. And I uh, appreciate that, that you shared some of the stories that you did. I cannot wait to listen to them again, because I get to listen to them two or three more times in editing. So I, I can't wait to do that. And uh, as, as we say, when we part, just like we would in the plane, cheers from Charleston. Cheers from Florence. And cheers from Tumalo. Awesome. Talk to you soon, guys. See you guys. Thank you. Okay. Travis, thanks, man. That was awesome. Man, that was awesome. What, oh, what a great good. story I, of your financing, too. I mean, I tell you that. What an American yeah. dream. And I, I lived that same uh, situation, so I, I get it. And hearing people who have lived through those same issues and problems and, and things is just reassuring and encouraging to the ones of us out there that are still trying to get to that next level. It, I really... I talked more on this episode about things I haven't usually got to talk about. And I really appreciate that because I love that story. Like when I hear, I can't wait to listen also, because when I hear myself tell that story, I encourage myself. I, I find sometimes I'll listen to stories like that and be like, well, if that guy can, oh, hold on. I'm that guy. I can do it. Yeah, I've done it before. Okay, that's right. <laughs> that is good. Travis, this one of the uh, before, because I know we got a roll, because we actually do have a, a really nice. Uh, I say a nice, and I don't know if he's nice. He might. He seems nice. A guy named uh, Jason that he founded a tech company called Bevs B E V Z dot com. That so we're going to be on it just a little bit, and I'm not meaning to talk about him, but but it's funny that it's kind of in the in the same world that um, with this format, Travis, we have been. I, I, I don't want to hesitate to say that we have been honored, we have been blessed, we have been given some things because this format, it's not an interview, man. We're not like trying to find out, we're not trying to draw from you. We are being, and honestly, we are being selfish because we have you to ourselves. and I got to ask questions directly to you and Doug got to ask questions directly to you, but we're trying also to be selfless in that we are not trying to draw information. We're having that conversation just like we normally would. And it comes from a series of flights over a period of a long, long years that I met people that I had no way to, to communicate what they said to me and some amazing, amazing stories. So I wanted to thank you. And I'll say to this, because Doug does not know this, that you and I first communicated in October of 2022 to get oh, to wow. this date. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah, and um, and and I say that in in a in an awesome fashion, and I don't know if that's even a thing, an awesome fashion. But I say that to say that that I when I read about you, I said I, I want to meet this cat because it seems like you've done some cool things, and it took a year to be able to put it together. So it makes it even uh, even sweeter, so to speak. It, it does. Yeah. I, I remember seeing your name. You have a unique name and, and, and seeing that for so long, I kept thinking, well, we're going to make it happen because it's, it's just got to. And, and I appreciate the, the sort of informal on the flight analogy and, and energy. A lot of times when someone's done a tremendous amount of research, it's almost like there's nothing left to talk about, you know, and, and, and I've been on some, like I can just say yesterday, and he knew everything about me that I didn't even know about myself. And so he, he was almost like reluctant to ask because he already knew. And so this format of, of not just, you know, 
just hydroflask because I also get a little tired of talking about hydroflask sometimes. So talk about other stuff and, and about little micro pieces that I haven't talked about before. That was just great. Thank you guys. Well, we enjoy it. I, 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 love, I love the opportunity to get to meet you and thank you for your time. I'm glad well, I had Doug you. on. I had Doug on as a guest originally oh. two years to, we've been uh this, this is we're going into our fourth year I, well i say we wow. i'm going into my fourth year on this project uh, and uh and doug came on kind of right at the end of the first year uh, we were right in the middle i started right in when COVID. i started january of 2020 and uh doug came on and we got along obviously you can see doug and i get along and we worked i mean we we don't work together but we we work on projects together and we talk probably three or four times a week and in this format uh we got along and i said doug Bro, what do you think? You want to hang out with me? And 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 it said turned out to be so much fun. And I and I know Doug's right there and can see me, but I always like to make sure he knows that I'm thankful that that he chose to at least play for as long as he wants to uh, to play because I appreciate him very much and I appreciate the but questions. What he and, just said was he invited me on the podcast and I never left. That's kind of what he just said. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. I, I will no, not allow that. Not this has been that. a lot of fun. It's, it has I been a lot of fun. And, and it is awesome. because it's so different. It's, it's just conversational. It's just like sitting down at the airport and, hey, buddy, what do you do for a living? Oh, you're in the food industry. And then blah, 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 here we are. Uh, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Get down. Get down. Get down. Get down. Good girl. Get down. Get down. Don't make me.